I have a question I want you to answer this morning as we begin. Um, it's really important, kind of sets us up for the rest of what we're going to be um, looking at this morning. Uh, either I wish I had, fill in the blank, I wish I had, or I wish I hadn't. You look at your life, what is something that you wish you had done or something that you wish you hadn't done? You know, it could be I, I wish I hadn't eaten uh, all that, you know, um, sushi last night because today it's feeling really lousy. I wish, you know, minor stuff, major stuff. What is it that you wish you had or wish you hadn't done? It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer it in your mind, okay? I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. If you're watching online, I want you to answer it in the text box. If you're in the house right now, I want you to turn to somebody sitting close to you and tell them, I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. Aren't you glad you're in house today, that you didn't have to put that out there for the whole world to see, to be ever recorded in Facebook? There is a way that things work in creation, in the world. There's a way that things work. David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Like just in being what they are, being where they are, they are declaring God's glory, displaying the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Everything in creation does what it does by design. It does what it does because that's what it was made to do. And in doing what it does, it gives glory to God. To be human is to get to choose there's still a way things work for humanity. There's a way that we were made to work. There's a design. David goes on to say in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. There is a law, there are statutes, there are ordinances that are telling us this is the way God created us, this is the way God fashioned us, this is the way God made life to work for us. But we get to choose whether we live that way or live some other way, whether we do that or do something else. Only human beings can be less than what we are. Only human beings can be inhumane. A giraffe cannot be in giraffe. It is a giraffe. Every day, it wakes up. It does the same thing because that's what it was made. It doesn't get to choose. We get to choose to work within the design or to make our own way. And our choices matter. The choices that we make to do, live this way or to live this way, to do this or to do that, the choices that we make matter both for the quality of our life, right? When we live within the design, there's abundance in there. There's a, it's a life-giving source of energy, a purpose, direction, passion, relationship, connection, communion, fellowship, 
when we live within the design, there's a way things work. And when we live outside of that design, either way, our choices matter. When it doesn't turn out well, the choice that we made, the result, result is not only the negative consequences of what happened, like I did this, I wish I hadn't done it, but I did, and now as a result of that, this is what happened. But beyond just the, the consequences, this is what happened, we are often also served up a healthy portion of regret. I wish I hadn't, or I wish I had. There's a, a general sense of regret was just a, is a feeling of sorrow or sadness that is not necessarily a result of our, of our own actions or consequences. Like when someone loses a loved one, we can send a note to them with regrets, with our sorrow, with our sadness. But there's a regret that goes beyond that just general sense of feeling sorrow or sadness for something to feeling sorrow or sadness for something that we did or something that we didn't do that we now wish we had or hadn't done and that it can't be undone or redone. Regret. The words came out. And like I used to tell my middle schoolers when I taught, when I was a youth pastor, it's like toothpaste, right? Once you squeeze the tube and the paste comes out, it doesn't go back in. You wish you hadn't said it. You, you hung out with your friends too late and you didn't study for the test and then you went and you bombed the test and you wish you hadn't done that and you wish you had studied. You, you left something good for something better. But what you left for that you thought was going to be better ended up not just being not better. It wasn't as good at it. It was worse than before. And regrets come on massive scales. Sometimes, like I said, it's you know, just something I said, a little thing that can be corrected easily, not a big deal. You can move on with your life. Sometimes those things are really, really deep and have profound effects on our life. And they can't be shaken off. They can't be undone. There was an, a nationally representative study found that the most commonly reported regrets involved romance, 19.3%. I wish I hadn't started this relationship. I wish I hadn't ended that, this relationship. I wish I had tried in this relationship. Regret. 16.9% of regrets have to do with family things that we did or didn't do with family members. 14% have to do with education. I wish I hadn't dropped out of school. I wish I would have gone to college. I wish I would have picked a different major. Career, 14%. Finances, 10%. I wish I had saved more. I wish I hadn't taken that vacation because now I'm bearing the consequences of it. I wish that I'd made different choices. 9%, this surprises me actually, 9% of regrets have to do with parenting. 
I would say like most of my regrets have to do with parenting, right? I wish I hadn't. I wish I had done some things differently in the course of raising my kids. And if you have regret, you know that it isn't, it isn't a great feeling, right? To have that sense of, ah, oh, is something that we wish that we didn't feel, that we wish that sometimes that just denial, we wish we could just make it go away, just wish that it hadn't happened. Sometimes we may even pretend that it didn't happen, just kind of push on and go on with our life. Sometimes we judge ourselves for those things. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so careless? How could I have been or how could I have done that? Sometimes we punish ourselves for those things. I'll never show myself, my face in public again. I don't want anybody to see or know or any, like, I can't stop kicking myself. I can't stop beating myself for what I did. Oftentimes when it comes to, to regret, we perseverate on it. Right? We do those three things, we just do them over and over and over again in our minds, and we get stuck in a doom loop. And the result of those things, right, regret, oftentimes creates a sense of paralysis in us. Like we get, we get stuck in that place, we get stuck in the past, and we just can't get out of it, we can't move on. And it kind of is like what happened yesterday is done and we can't undo it, but we just keep reliving the same thing over and over and over again. And we never move on past it. Paralysis, we just, we're just stuck in it. Sometimes that regret has intrapersonal consequences. It chemically affects the, 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 the um, hormones in our body. And so weakening our immune system, oftentimes causing depression, the things going on between our ears, the things going on in our hearts and our souls, steal our joy, our peace, sense of self, our sense of value from us. It causes interpersonal struggles. Relationships with other people aren't the same because we feel such shame for what we did that we don't want to be known. We go into hiding. Or there's a sense of blame. It's your fault that I did this. It's your fault that I didn't do this. And so that creates separation in relationships. Regret anchors us to the past in a way that disrupts or even destroys our future. That happened then, and I can't get on now because I won't try again, because I won't risk again. Fear, shame, blame. There are two kinds of regret. Um, you, uh, I noted it in the opening slide. I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. There are, there's regret for the things that we did that we wish we hadn't done and regret for the things that we didn't do that we wish we had done. Did I say that the right way? Either way, you get the idea, right? Interestingly, the things that we 
didn't do, the opportunities that we passed on, the, the risks that we didn't take, tend to have a deeper impact and a longer lasting result, a deeper regret than the things that we did. That there's something about the fact that we, we took action, we, we, we exercised our agency, even though it didn't work out well, that's still empowering for us, or at least what happens is we get immediate feedback. Oh, I did that. I know what happened. I have to deal with the consequences of that now. And, and, and there's no hiding it. There's no passing it off. There's no getting away from it. We're stuck with it. We have to deal with it. Whereas those choices that we opted out on, the opportunities that we didn't take, leave us always wondering what would have happened. What could have happened feeds into our imagination and speculation in a different way. The Bible chronicles some world-class, history-altering bad choices. Right? So if you're sitting here today and you've got regrets and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm the only one in the world and, you know, and I, I've made such a terrible decision. Actually, you know, just open up your Bible. One of the beauties of knowing God's word is it just tells us not just like the good stuff. It tells us all the, the junk and the mire of other people's lives and kind of opens them up like Facebook. Uh, you know, and, and it's there recorded for all of history. Going back to the very beginning. History-altering bad choice. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve eats from the wrong tree. And Adam, sitting right there with her, takes the fruit and follows in kind. And, and they don't regret, they don't express regret in the words, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But the result, shame. They're immediately trying to cover up what they did. They're hiding in the bushes now. They had been in the open communion and fellowship with God, and now it's been severed. And it's not because God left the building. He comes to the garden looking for them. They're hiding from him. Going on from there, Cain kills his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 4, again, he doesn't express regret for what he did, but he certainly doesn't like the consequences of what he did. And now he's going to be a wanderer upon the earth. And everybody's going to be trying to kill him. And he laments his plight to God. Moving forward in the story, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. God promised him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And Abraham says, but I don't have any descendants. How is this going to happen? God says, I promise it's going to happen. And Abraham waits for a while, and Sarah waits for a while, and, and nothing happens. And, and eventually they decide to take matters into their own hands. And um, Sarah brings Abraham's, her maidservant to Abraham, and they produce a child through that relationship. And in that culture, that was kind of a thing that people did. But it wasn't what God had promised. God had promised that the seed, this descendant, was going to come from Abraham and Sarah's communion, their fellowship, their oneness, their intimacy. 
And so out of that, Hagar, we have the Hagar solution. We get Ishmael. Later on, God delivers on his promise to Abraham and Sarah. You want to talk about history-altering, world-class bad decisions. Isaac is born. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the seed of the people of God, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. The seed of Ishmael, the Arab people. World-class, history-altering choice. The hatred and the violence and the discord between the Jewish people and the Arab people has been traumatizing people and families and nations and the world for millennium. And headlining the news again this weekend. Choices made thousands of years ago. World-class bad choices. Have you made any choices that bad yet? King David led Israel in the height of its glory and says, in the spring, when kings go off to war, what did I say? King David, right? In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent his right-hand man, Joab, off to war, but he stayed home. And while he's at home, not off to where, where the kings are, even though he's a king, he's wandering around on the roof of his house, the palace, and sees Bathsheba, which leads to the next bad choice, because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, and he sees Bathsheba, which gives way to lust, which gives way to adultery, which gives way to the death of his son, and jealousy and envy between brothers, and division in the royal household and the downfall, the division of the nation of Israel. Regret isn't a bad thing per se. It's actually the natural result of life outside the design. Imperfect people living in an imperfect world is going to produce bad choices that lead to regret. To do something that hurts you or that hurts someone else and you don't feel regret about is actually sociopathic, right? To hurt someone or hurt yourself and just say, ah, it doesn't matter. And do that over and over again and never matters. It's not the way that we were made to live. And psychology offers some helpful, useful steps when it comes to regret. You know, acknowledge the mistake, don't bury it, don't hide it. Admit the negative feelings. Accept your humanity. We are imperfect people. We do live in an imperfect world. We live in the relationship with other imperfect people. We make bad choices. So we're not alone in it, even though we did it. 
forgive yourself for what you've done? Learn from it? I think that's something we all try to do, right? When we blow and make a bad decision. Well, at least I did that. I can't not undo it, but at least I can try not to do it again. Helpful. But theology contends that regret isn't just a personal problem. It's not just my problem. That it has, actually has far-reaching implications and requires a more radical intervention. I'm going to take us back to David and his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, David prays a prayer of, for, of confession and repentance that I believe leads us into that deeper understanding of the, of the transformation, the rescue that actually goes to the heart and the soul of our regret and brings genuine healing, forgiveness, and restoration. Psalm 51, David starts, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. David starts by saying, God, you, have, you are a God. You have proven yourself through history, demonstrated yourself through history as being a God who forgives, whose love is unfailing, a God who, who never quits on us. I'm asking you, God, be, be who you are. God, be God. Because I need you to be that God now that we sang about. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God who forgave the Israelites in the wilderness, who forgave Abraham, who forgave David for their sin. I, God, I need your unfailing love. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Ask God to be God. He goes on, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is interesting, isn't it? Against you, God, and you only have I sinned. Except it was, seems like it was Uriah whose wife David took and then sent out to the battlefield to be destroyed, to be killed. But David says, my sin is ultimately, my rebellion is outside of God's desire and design. It goes to the very heart of my fellowship with my creator. He accepts responsibility. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In David's, confession. He acknowledges the mistake. Maybe it wasn't all your fault. Maybe there's other people to blame. Maybe there's other people who are responsible. Maybe there were circumstances that it just seemed like the only option that was available to you. Even if it was 99% somebody else's, do you have a part in the thing that you did or didn't do? Admit it. Admit it to God. I know my part. I recognize my offense. It is before me. 
I have sinned against you, God. Is it pride that led to it? Is it fear? I don't want to do this, but if I don't do this, these are the things that might happen. Is it envy or anger? Just lashing out? Is it expedience? It was just easier, the easier way to go. The, the, other, the other path was a harder choice, more immediate consequences. Was the, the pursuit of false comfort or unforgiveness? I did it because they hurt me and I hurt them back because I couldn't let go of it? What's your part? David leads us in confessing our sin before God, not sweeping it under the rug, not pretending that it didn't matter, owning it. And if there's no regret, no responsibility, it's like you look at it and you search your heart and your mind and you ask God, show me what my part, and there is no responsibility on your part in it, then where is that regret coming from? Because it's a different question. Now you're feeling something that's being placed upon you by the enemy, by some other person in your life, by some lie or accusation or condemnation. Some of this stuff goes really, really deep. I just want to pause and say, you know, sometimes these things are so core that it's really hard for us to get perspective on them. And we need somebody else to help us walk through it a trusted friend, maybe even a therapist, someone who, as Solomon says in Proverbs 20, 20, or 20, verse 5, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Do we need someone with insight to help us draw these things out and process them for freedom? David confesses, and then he repents, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I'm not hiding it. I'm not burying it under a rug. I'm not pretending it's less than it is. I'm not trying to dismiss it. All I have, God, is like we say, all I have, all I can bring is my heart to you, and it is broken Shattered to pieces is actually the word that's, that's used here. Shattered to pieces, God. This is the mess that I have, and I'm bringing it to you. Turning away from myself and all the ways that I've tried to fix it and all the ways I've tried to hide it and all the ways that I've tried to make it go, and I'm bringing it into your presence. God, have your way in it. He goes on, and receive forgiveness. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. God, if you... Forgive me, I will be forgiven. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Cleanse me, I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And then David prays in his prayer, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgression your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. In, in this, David is claiming 
not just forgiveness, but restoration all the way to the point where God is now using what he's been through and his shame and his regret and his pain to help other people on their journey. Romans chapter 8 is a passage that 28 we often read and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And we know that God is using all the stuff of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If we're in a relationship with him, if we're walking with him through this journey in life, that, that even though he didn't design it, it wasn't way, the way it was made to work, it happened that he is going to use it for our good and his glory. For those God he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He's taking the trash and using it in our lives all the way to the point of our shame being transformed into our glory. Sin is to fall short of the glory of God. Restoration, redemption is to be restored to that glory. Through Christ, through Christ, we are not anchored to our past. We don't get to go back and undo what was done. We don't get back what we've lost yet but we're rescued from the guilt and the shame and the regret of our past mistakes. Regret anchors us to the past. Redemption breaks that chain and takes it and connects it to the anchor of our hope that, that, talks, that Hebrews talks about in our future. And so instead of being anchored to the past so that we can no longer move forward, we're stuck where we are, paralyzed in our sin and our shame and our regret, takes that and attaches it to our future glory, glorified, the end of the story. And there's a, a naval term called kedging. And they would take an anchor and they would, going into a shallow port or a narrow passage, they would take the anchor and they would drop it out in front of the ship. And then they would draw, draw the anchor in and it would actually pull the ship into safe harbors. Redemption, breaking our chains to the past and anchoring it to the future and then drawing us into that future glory. Everything that has happened is happening or will happen, is being used by God in the transformation process, changing us from glory to glory. Where we will be tomorrow will be determined by the choices that we make today if we are freed from our regret in the past. Without that, 
right? If we're still connected to the past, the choices that we make today will be governed by those past decisions and keep us in that same place. Life choices, the name of our series, right? Choices that lead to life in its abundance. My challenge today, you look at your life and your regrets. Follow David's pattern, his path. Asking God to be God. Accepting responsibility. Repentance. Forgiveness. Restoration and redemption. I choose redemption over regret. I choose my future that God has destined for me. Glory over past shame. We can only begin the journey from where we are. And we often make the mistake. We think, I wish I was someplace else. I wish I had done something different. I wish I could be in a different place. And we want to get from that different place to where we want to go. But we can only start. We can only move forward from where we are today. And God has offered us that path through Christ. Lord, I pray. Pray for everyone who is on this journey through life. Grateful that you offer us a counselor, a guide, and that you've made a path forward for us. Because of your unfailing love that we can start from where we are and move into a different future. Where, where we've been stuck from a really, really long time, Lord, I pray that you would just renew our hope that something can be different, that there can be a different future, that there can be another way. And strengthen our faith to follow you on that path. Give us courage to be transparent, to open it all up to you, Lord, to invite you into not the thing that we wish that we were or the people that we wish, to, to invite you into who we are, our our broken, crushed hearts, believing that just as you've done in the past, that you will do for us. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our hearts, in our souls, in our lives, in our spirit. Today, as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name.